All right, what a blessing to be able to share this time together. Like I say, with all of you, my friends, near and far, all of you part of the Cornerstone community, some of you even joining us for the very first time. If that's you, I'm so happy you're with us. I'm Pastor Terry Lee, pastor here at Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. Our series is called Seasons of Stress. I want to talk about how to deal with stress in our lives. You know, we're all vulnerable. We're all more breakable than it would seem. We're all capable of being stretched to points of, of breaking. We're all going to need the Lord's grace. And even now, Lord, I welcome your grace and your goodness into this place, into this space, into this sharing of your word. I ask that you would come in an amazing way. As we look at your words and scriptures and example of a man in the Older Testament, I pray that you would breathe life into us. I do. In the space and the place where we need it most. That's what I ask in Jesus' name. Like I said, I think a lot of us have been under an inordinate amount of pressure and strain. Some of us are listening, listening to this right now and, and we're carrying some things. We really are. Some of us have been highly stressed. Like we have been stretched to a point of breaking. Maybe some of us have even started to break a little bit, or maybe we have people in our lives who are breaking and we care about them. Maybe it's going to be important for us to share a lot of what we are learning here with them. But if, if I was being honest about it, I think all of us have been more stressed these last two plus years than maybe at any other time in our lives. It's been relentless because in addition to any other personal issues we may be having to deal with, our own pain, our health, relational issues, financial issues, maybe career shifting things. On top of all of that, we have had to deal with uh, unprecedented, at least in my lifetime, unprecedented things one after another that just seem to add to stress level, uh, stress levels and anxiety. I remember way back in 2019, yeah, wow, some very specific challenging situations that I was having to deal with at the end of the year. It was actually during the holidays. It was, um, yeah, a very complicated time, and it was tough. And I was trying to stay encouraged. I was praying a lot, asking God for wisdom, self-control. Help me, Lord, to keep a good attitude, to apply all the principles I've learned from your word over the years. And as I was walking through that at the end of 2019, I had no idea, as I'm sure none of us did, of what was about to unfold in 2020. I had no idea that our world was going to basically shut down. I had no idea that we were all going to essentially experience a global tsunami we call the pandemic together and how much that was going to change our world. And, and we're still being affected by what we all walk through. And honestly, the church was affected as well. We changed the way we do church. And there's some upside to that and there's some downside to that. But it seems like it's just been nonstop because in addition to the, the pandemic and all that was connected to that, we've also had nonstop social, cultural, political, and global upheaval. And in fact, you know, right now we are experiencing economic turmoil and, and uh, yeah, there are wars in other parts of the world. And all of that just seems to conspire to create uh, 
additional layers of pressure on us. And it does, it does increase our stress levels, even when we're not aware of it. So whether it's personal, things that are going on inside of us, whether it's things that have to do with the external world that we're all a part of and what we've all been walking through, I don't think that there are any of us who can't relate to this idea of a season of stress. And because honestly, in my lifetime, I can't think of a time that's been more challenging. And it did. I couldn't help it. It made me go back and think about some of the things that Jesus said in Matthew 24. And, I, and before I even go further, I just wanted to read this and share this passage because I think it's profoundly impactful. Check it out. Just thinking about everything that's going on in our world, everything that's been happening these past few years and what Jesus said in Matthew 24. Let's look at this together. It says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, and you can still go there today, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, and Mount of Olives, of course, situated where you can look over Jerusalem. And they said, tell us when will these things be and what will the sign of your coming and the end of the age? They were asking Jesus to talk to them about not only his coming and his return, but also when the world as we know it would end and change. What would be the last days? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. That's by the way, great words for us. Really good. See that no one leads you astray. The implication is you can be led astray. I can be led astray. There are many people saying this is the way that is the way Jesus reminds us stay in his way. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. Basically, I am the one. I have the truth and they will lead many astray. And you will hear, look at this, of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place. But the end is not yet. Wow. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. But all these things are but the beginnings, beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. They will put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Jesus is describing a time of persecution for people who follow Jesus sincerely. And that's happening certainly in other parts of the world. And this also something that we can feel taking place as the society pits itself one against the other. And Jesus did say that many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end, they will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then Jesus said, the end will come. And it's hard. It's hard. I mean, when I read that passage, it's hard not to feel that we are living in the last days that Jesus spoke about. And in a certain sense, we have been living in them for the last 2000 years, but you just wonder at what point is this going to move us into a place of culmination where the birth pangs actually produce the new thing that God is going to do. And that is both an end to something and a start of something new.
but it seems like we are really moving towards the time of his coming. I look at what's happening all around in this world and I go, Lord, how long can it continue? I mean, we've had so many, and you know, continue as it is, we've had so many things happening. And now on top of that, we have technology that allows us to be connected in ways that would have seemed impossible, incredible, unbelievable, fantastical <laughs> in other generations. And that carries with it a lot of implications as well around freedom and uh, our ability to secure our privacy and uh, the potential of authoritarian manipulation. All of these things are now being amplified in ways that I think would have not been able to happen, like I said, even 50 years ago. So it's not hard to think that in light of everything that's been happening, the, the diseases and the wars and the kingdoms rising against kingdoms and earthquakes and famines, just global calamity, that's what we're talking about here. It's hard not to connect back to some of the things that Jesus taught us about the end of time and, and what we should be doing is focusing ourselves even more precisely on staying close to God. And I'm not talking about being fanatical or uh, trying to overreact. And I know that the Lord wants us to live for him and love him and love people that he's given to us to love as, as well as we possibly can. And so basically what I'm saying is between now and when the Lord comes, we've been given a life to live for his glory. And I'm convinced I am. I'm convinced that God wants us to live it well and to be healthy. So what I'm saying, if, if I can just tie this together, is that I I think we are living in unprecedented times. They're high pressure times and, and it's easy to feel anxious and stressful in them. And it may indeed be that we are nearing the end. It may be that. Uh, in the larger sense, we are living in the end times. But given the fact that it hasn't happened yet, between now and whenever that end comes and the Lord returns and changes everything, we have a life to live. And I think God wants us to live it healthy and well. That's, and that's what I'm contending for. I think it's possible in these perplexing, difficult days uh, to live in the life and peace of God. But it's something that is going to require intentionality on our part to cultivate because we're our, we're, we are all far more vulnerable to breaking than we seem. Uh, none of us are beyond the capacity to break. Even the strongest, strongest among us can, can break. That, that's true. And listen, loved ones, when we do have a breakdown or we start to get into a, a very dark place, it really is hard to recover. It's not a quick fix. When you get when we get to a place of, of, of collapse, if I can call it that, it's a real long road back. Now, admittedly, God can use these bad chapters. If we turn to the Lord in our brokenness, and I need to say this to someone today, if we turn to him in our brokenness, he will reset us. And in fact, that's what we're going to be learning in these next two weeks as we examine Elijah, the prophet of God in the Old Testament, who broke down 
He was under so much stress. His breakdown is something that was recorded, I think, for our well-being. And we're going to learn how and watch how God nurtured him back to health and, and basically reset him. <laughs> okay. Crashing requires major rebuilds. So it's better to aim for maintenance. I need to say that one more time. Crashing requires major rebuilds. So it's better <laughs> to aim for maintenance. And when I talk about maintenance, spiritual and emotional maintenance, which is the key, I'm talking about rhythms of rest because all of those things affect us physically and it affects our relationships. They're all interrelated. I'm talking about rhythms of rest, incorporating Sabbath time, time for long thoughts, really nurturing our healthy friendships and, and critical relationships. I'm talking about good outlets, positive outlets, refreshing outlets, community, community engagement. And then of course the cultivation of margins so that we're, we're not just always on the edge. And I, I think all of those things that I just mentioned are even more important as we make our way into the holidays this year. Remember, to live well and manage stress levels is going to require us, as I mentioned earlier, to be intentional and to keep our eyes focused on the right things, to keep our mindset in a positive, aligned attitude with Christ, and of course, to embrace the best things. And I'm talking about the first of which is Jesus. He's the best thing. Stay close to Jesus. Stay close to the Good Shepherd. And uh, you will need to fear nothing. Nothing. And there is no situation in life that you cannot recover from if you are walking with the Good Shepherd. Lord, stay near to us, I pray. I really do. You know, I mentioned Elijah, and I mean, he's one of the Bible's case studies in chronic stress and breakdown and, and renewal. I couldn't think of a better person to, to try to sit with than Elijah. And I want us, because what well, we're told in James 5, 17, that Elijah was a man, look at this, with a nature like ours. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He's just like us. So we're not talking about someone who we can't relate to. Uh, you know, in James 5, 17, that reference there, the direct context of it had to do with prayer. But we are told that he had a nature like ours. That he was flawed. That's what we're basically being told. He, he had strengths. He had weaknesses. He had unique vulnerabilities. So let's look at. Let's go back into the in the First Kings here, and let's look at. Let's look at this amazing passage. Um, we're told that Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, saying, <laughs> wow, so may the gods do to me. And more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And it says, then he was afraid and he rose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. What, what's fascinating is that Elijah is fresh off of a spiritual victory. You can read about it in the previous chapter. And it, he assumed that, if I can put it this way, that his trial was over, but instead it escalated. Now, can any of us relate to that? Can any of us relate to the idea that we, 
we come through this amazing, enormous, highly challenging period and it feels like it's taken everything to get through it. And we're finally seeing some daylight and we're starting to feel a little encouraged. And then instead of it calming the waters and everything get, getting better, when we think, oh yeah, I got through the worst of it, it escalates, it gets worse, it gets harder. If you've ever been there and I have, oh man, that could just, that's like a gut punch. Because our expectations are that most of this is behind me and I can take a deep breath. Whew. And instead I see an even bigger situation emerging and that can really be tough. It, you know, listen to me, um, for Elijah, it had, it had taken so much courage to do what he did. It cost him so much spiritual equity uh, to win that battle. And he thought it was over. He thought, he thought he had won game set and match only to watch Jezebel and, and Ahab, but specifically she was in charge really just to watch them rise up, watch her rise up like a hydra from hell. I mean, it's like, I mean, he was spent all his margin was used up and then he got hit. Jezebel was a much stronger opponent than her weak husband, King Ahab. And instead of conceding, which I think is what he, what the King was about to do, she just threw down the gauntlet. And when she did, after Elijah just assumed that he had won the spiritual battle, that, that everything had turned his way, that, that God had given him the victory when he recognized that far from her pulling back and conceding, she was going to increase the intensity of her opposition to him and just go after him. I'm going, what you've done, she says, I'm going to do to you. I'm going to go after you and I'm going to take your life. And Elijah just broke. He just broke the, the spiritual pressure. It just broke him. It just broke him and fear overtook him. It gripped him and stretched too far. Elijah's fear overwhelmed him. And, he, and what does it say he did? It says he ran away. He ran away. I mean, we're talking about, it says that he was afraid and he rose and he ran for his life. Think about that. <laughs> it just, uh, you know, last week I mentioned two acronyms for fear. Remember them? Some of you may, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that message, go back and check it out. But I talked about fear as false evidence appearing real or another one that might fit this situation even better fear forgetting everything about reality. But I think there is one that in this case applies even more. Look at this fear, forget everything and run. <laughs> right? that's, and that's exactly what Elijah did. He just took off running. You know, Beersheba is about a hundred miles south of Mount Carmel and boy, he just, he just wanted distance. And we are told that when he got there, he did one more thing. And not only when he got that, <laughs> when he got down South and got as far away as he could, he did one more thing. He left his servant 
and he made his way into the wilderness. In fact, that's what it says. It says that he just left his servant there. Notice the end of that verse, verse three. And boy, <laughs> and then he, so he takes off into the wilderness. And oh, do you see this? It's like so many of us when we're in trouble, right? I've seen it now more times than I can count. The tendency when we're in real trouble and we're feeling really down, really broken, the tendency is to isolate when we feel discouraged, depleted, diminished. Because when we're really struggling, we can close down, shrink our world, withdraw from community and from the people who care for us. If I can put it this way, we can leave our tribe and go it alone. And we become in our pain and in our fear even more vulnerable. The Bible says the one who isolates themselves seeks their own judgment. Isolation is not good. Now let's look at verse four. Watch what it does, what Elijah does when he gets into the wilderness. Look what we're told here. It says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and he came and he sat down under a broom tree, the, that tree with its branches providing shade in the wilderness. <laughs> under the, the sun is beating down, but he's sitting under that tree and, he, and he's all alone. He's all by himself. He's left his servant. He's run as far as he can. He's in, he's in an isolated place. And he says, and he basically, he, the scripture says that he asked that he might die. <laughs> saying, it is enough. I've had it. Now, Lord, I just ask you, it just, you know, take away my life. I don't need, I'm, I'm no, I'm no better than my father's. Listen, uh, <laughs> there's a good alone and there's a bad alone. This is not the good one. Do we see what he's doing? In addition to everything else, he's He's pushing himself on depleted adrenaline. I mean, he's redlining and he's pressing the pedal, using up everything he has left. All his res reserves are getting used up. I mean, he comes out of this intense time of confrontation. And then he, he, he breaks in fear and he starts running for his life. And then he leaves his servant and he runs even harder into the wilderness. And he's got, he's got nothing. He's got nothing. He's just the picture of a beaten man sitting under a solitary broom tree, <laughs> a symbol of his solitary plight. And then he prays, but his prayer is to die. I mean, if I can put it this way, at least in some way, he's suicidal. We have to acknowledge that. I quit. I'm done. I don't even want to live anymore. God, just, just like, take my life. I'm, I'm, I'm done. So, so, so many waters, do you see it, are converging here? One, he's depleted at every level. He's been under tremendous, relentless strain. And on top of that, this is the one I think also may have been the tipping point. Do you see this? I think in this moment, and I, I can relate, I think you can too from time to time. Maybe you, I, can you, why? I think he was disgusted with himself. I know a strong thing to say, but as he's sitting there, I, th I think he knows he's failed. Like he really blew it. He was tested and defeated in his mind. He had managed to, you know, snap 
defeat from the jaws of victory, if you will. Uh, he, I think part of what was happening here is he was ashamed of himself. And as he was taking inventory of how he had got to this spot, he probably said something like, I'm so pathetic. <laughs> I'm no, that, see, when he says, I'm no better than my father's, that's willful, fearful, disobedient. I thought I was better than this. I'm not. I'm no good. See that? You can feel it. I can relate to that. When we fail to live up to what we, I, maybe you can too, uh, when we fail to live up to what we believe we should be, what God wants us to be, right? What he created us to be. What others need us to be. It's, and then we, and we don't do it. And it's, it's real, that's hard. That's hard. <sighs> you know, when we feel defeated and depleted at the deepest and most profound levels, it's, this is another thing. It's hard to believe that things will ever improve. It really is. The hole can seem so deep. And yeah, sometimes it's a hole we dug ourselves, right? We just, we dug it. We got no one to blame. We just say, look, I, I, I just don't have it. Um, I'm no good. Um, uh, we may not say it literally, but part of us is just saying, you know, just let me die or I give up right on this, this, this situation, speaking death into it. I, 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 I'm to use Elijah's language. I'm as worthless as my disobedient ancestors. Now, some of it, some of this was hyperbole. I understand that, but not all of it, not all of it. The trial had proven too hard for him and he was disappointed with himself. And yeah, I use that word disgusted with himself. And next week we're going to examine how uh, the Lord will restore his broken servant. And I love what God does. And we're going to watch how the Lord nurses him back to health. And I hope that we can see that as negative and as self-loathing as Elijah was foolishly alone, there was one thing that he was doing that was really good. I think you can see it. I hope you can. He, he was in dialogue with God. Now, now I get it. That dialogue was negative. But that dialogue with God, even in this, play, this place of utter brokenness and, and um, just overwhelmed with negative thinking, it, that dialogue would become a bridge to his healing. And it's a reminder here that when we are depleted and broken or breaking, that you are still his beloved son, you're still his beloved daughter. And even when we're not getting it right, even when we think we've got nothing left, even when we think we, part of us just wants to die and give up and quit, stay in dialogue with the Lord. Come on now, stay in dialogue with the Lord. He will work with us. Loved ones, uh, that's so important. Like, keep talking to him. Even when that, even when that talk isn't really most faith-filled talk, just, just keep staying with him. I look at this and I go, wow, Lord. I mean, Elijah was doing everything wrong, but there was one thing he was doing right. He was, he was talking to the Lord. 
and that would become part of the breakthrough, right? You hear me talk about this from time to time, the breakdown that leads to the breakthrough, that leads to the breakout. And it was all going to start right here because the Lord will work with us. I mean, he does some of his best work with broken things <laughs> and in broken places. Yeah, loved one, don't forget that. Some of God's best work, maybe his best work is done with broken things and in broken places. I mean, if you think about it, he was broken on the cross. And out of that breaking came the life. So every time we break the bread and communion, and we are rejoicing in the provision of his brokenness. So it's what he does. You know, I'm reminded of the great invitation of Jesus. I just want to read it one more time. Matthew 11, 28. And yeah, the verse is right there all the way to 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Some of us just need to hear it. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Come to me. It's like Jesus saying, come to me, all of you who are worn, weary, and highly stressed. Draw near to me. Draw near to me, Jesus says, and let me help you. Ah, those are words for us. Those are words to us. Those are words for us. We're so loved. And uh, in the broken places, the Lord can do some amazing things. His grace is sufficient in your weakness. He says, is my strength made perfect. Let's think about that a little bit. We're going to share a song. I'll come back around, send us out with a final word of encouragement and blessing. So here we go. Blood is 
try to find a cure for the pain Oh my Lord to suffer like you do it would be so thankful that you meet us in our broken places, in our broken spaces, in the places when we fail you, when we feel like a failure, just overwhelmed by fear or disappointment with ourselves, or with you, or with other people. We find ourselves in a dark place, in a disobedient place. Remind us of your grace and your love. Remind us that you never let us go, that you'll find us. You go look for us. You, you're with us. You're the good shepherd. You're what we need. Yeah, let's just, Lord, help us to stay in dialogue with you and to remember that you can take even the, the tough things we say, the, the, the things that we say that we don't even mean. And you, you, you know us. You love us. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. So my prayer for all of you in these days of high stress and great anxiety is that he would be your good shepherd. He would calm you in your mind, in your body, in your spirit. He would be the cure for your pain. That's what I pray in Jesus' name.